Hello and welcome to Sci-Fi Sidebar. I'm your co-host, Cece. And I'm Peter, your other co-host. <laughs> you said that in a really weird voice this week. Um, it was like too up. warm. <laughs> it was too warm? I was too friendly. He was too, yeah, like, why don't you back it on up? They don't know you that well. I mean, it's like episode 27 or something. They know us pretty well. That's true. I, I'm still, like, I know we've already done an anniversary episode. I'm still wrapping my mind around it. No worries, though. The fact that we're I'll over a there. year into this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> welcome to It's pretty really crazy town. Thanks for Anyway, welcome to our episode on Golden Sun, the second book in the Red Rising, orig- I guess, trilogy series? It was a trilogy, and now it's Well, it's a trilogy, a... then there's the Iron Gold series, so it's two different series, technically. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I see. That's how Pierce Brosnan... I didn't realize that technically counted as a new trilogy. Well, there's, like, the... I guess it can't all be the Red Rising series, because Red Rose... Yeah, Red, I mean, Red has risen. Alerts. <laughs> I, I, I feel like you realize that's where this was going, listeners, if you haven't read all the books. The end of Morningstar is actually a crushing victory by the Golds, and Red is exterminated. Red rose and fell. Very, fall, very hard. Very far and very hard. <laughs> Are we joking? I don't know. Read the next book, find Wait out. Wait for our next episode and listen to it. Then read In the book. another year, maybe. <laughs> mm, okay. I kind of want to do it sooner. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> oh, it did take us a year to get to this, huh? Uh, not quite, but practically. I think we did it over the summer, so not quite a year. Oh, okay. All right. Well, moving on. Anyway, uh, just a small note to get us off and running on this discussion. I, I relate to and love in the beginning when Darrow's like, yeah, like I've got my friends at the Academy and yeah, there's several, we haven't really kept in touch that well. Cause he keeps sending me 4chan shit posts. <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. I was like, yeah, he would, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> like, he's that friend who sends you the most depraved memes. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he sends me weird pictures of unicorns. <laughs> Plus several. He's such Poor a several. special boy. <laughs> several fucking shines in this book, though. Oh my god. Like, you like him in the first one. In this book, if you don't love him, you're clearly a monster. Yeah, and in the first one, he's, like, a weirdo, but he's very good and, like, does weird shit, but he's also, like, very effective. In this one, he's, like, the best friend. Peter, I get goosebumps and, like, cry every time I read and or listen to that scene where he, like, forces Zero to confess to him. And, like, the it. relief that Darrow feels, it's, oh, my God. It gets me in the heart every time. Like, and just imagine you've been living this lie for years, and now, like, this one person knows, but you still have to take that leap, even though you think they know. And, yeah, you're almost certain. And, but, like, having to still have the courage to do it and the trust to do it must have been so hard. And the reward of Sever being like, yeah, I'm on your side. Like, we're going to do this thing. Oh my god, Peter, my feelings. No, it was so good. Because, like, Daryl, I mean, Daryl, obviously, I think he actually, I think he cried in that scene. He did, he wept. Like, he wept Severo on... was like, Se- um... <laughs> yeah, Severo was super uncomfortable because Severo doesn't know how to handle that, but he tried. <laughs> he did his best, damn it. Because he knew. Like, I, I'm sure he was completely aware how hard that must have been for Darrow. Yeah, and I mean, but that was also the point. He was like, if you don't trust me enough to tell me the truth then like why should i go down this path with you basically yeah and he's like look i don't blame you for not telling me before now like yeah that's some shit but i'm making this easy for you <laughs> yeah like look i'm basically saying i already know like someone already took that jump for you 
Yeah. They they knew even if you wouldn't that I would follow you no matter what. But like and, Peter, have you ever had to like confess something? I mean, we grew up Catholic, so like I know you confess something. But like <laughs> for reals, you confessed like that that moment of saying it, like when he said Aries sent you, and like just letting it hang in the air, and then the resolution of that is such a powerful freaking moment. It, it literally like brings up all the hairs on my body. It's crazy. I mean, it, it, this book has a habit of like having very strongly emotional and very powerful moments. Like this, like there, it's Pierce Brown really is very good at doing setting up those scenes where like you're like, oh, this is this is serious. Like this is some shit. Like yeah, um, right before the Iron Rain is an example. Oh my gosh. When they're with like, Lauren. Yeah, with Lauren and like. They, all the golds are preparing for battle and like even though it's you know super egotistic and super like just because they're in love with their own race it's yeah like, it's like it's self-aggrandizing cool, yeah but it's still like a really cool scene yeah like a, a really it is kinda... Go ahead. they're like rise warrior of gold and everything like it's just it's it's you're right like it even though I mean, I, always, I thought about this a lot, this book, because a lot of it was Daryl being like, oh, this is so pointless, like, these golds are so arrogant, etc. But there were a lot of moments where I was, like, still pretty cool, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't... Is it in this book where Daryl talks about, like, there's nobility in gold? I think he, he mentions it more than once. I'm not sure if he mentioned it in the first book or not, but, like, I don't think that's a one-off notion for him. Well, yeah, I think he's definitely talked about in this book, though, that, like, he's, like, he points out that, yeah, they might be horrible, and they've fostered the society that does horrible things and accepts anything, but, you know, it, there is something to be said for trying, striving to make yourself the best absolutely, that you can absolutely be. Right, and to elevate humanity, too. Yeah, because golds are constantly improving and, like, modifying, and the Board of Quality Control is making sure that they remain strong and that they get stronger yeah. but you look at kind of like the rest the their issue comes into play when they go but we will become stronger most of humanity will not well so this actually ties in with something it's like a mini version of <laughs> the smart people segment that we haven't done in a long time um i was yeah. reading redressing a philosophy i was reading an essay about how um this book seems heavily inspired by Plato's Republic. Have you ever read Plato's Republic? I have not. Nor have I, but I'm familiar with some of the parts of it. So there's this whole concept that um, it, it's basically Plato's envisioning the ideal society. And it is similarly stratified to the, the society, capital S and Red Rising, where everybody, like there's, you know, the laboring class and the thinkers and the rulers and everyone sort of has their role and everyone has their place and you're born into that role but you're happy to serve that role and you're happy to be a part of you know this quote-unquote city and give the gifts that you were born with basically and it's a very similar concept to the sort of idealized version of the capital s society in my opinion but part of the part of the difference is that there the idea that Plato came up with was that the ruling class would be completely like as 
as much as possible removed from self-interest. Like they would be, they wouldn't have quote unquote parents. They would just be raised by their entire class, basically collectively. And so they wouldn't theoretically Hmm. have any like loyalties and they would all live together like communally. And basically all of the sort of self-interest of gold would be absent in them. And that's what allowed them to be good. I mean, it's honestly, I don't know if we talked about this in our first Red Rising episode, but it's kind of like communism where it sounds like a good idea and like, oh yeah, like that's a, that's a really practical solution to this problem of inequality and like wasted resources and everything. Mm-hmm. But then you enter people and people are selfish and people don't really care about ideals a lot of the time. You can't trust people to put the greater good above themselves. And so things like communism or like Plato's Republic or like the capitalist society fail and are cruel because of the way that people execute them imperfectly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I wonder if Pierce Brown, it all took from that idea. That was sort of the theory of the person who was writing the essay. Um, like it honestly it goes so far as to say that um there's a part in it where they talk about how the different classes were born with different elements in their in their bodies like the ruling class was born with gold in them and the, you know oh really yeah like the thinkers were born with silver and like, and, and then red and yellow no just kidding but yeah, like i think that honestly he must have pulled from that for his concept of like what would this actually look like if it was implemented interesting i thought so. i i think one of the cool things about you know something actually something that supports that is that it, they talked about it i think in this book how the original conquerors like, just had gold uniforms. Yes. Like, they weren't gold. They didn't have their golden hair, their golden eyes, their golden sigils on their hands. They were just mm-hmm. in gold uniforms. Right. They were just, like, leaders of the society. Right. Of their society. <clears throat> and, I mean, that kind of... That I that strikes me as kind of true, though, because, like, imagine early on lunar civilization, Earth is seeding all your resources, they're terrible, etc. You know, whatever. Wronged, wronged, wronged. And then you've built this society based on... Everyone has a place because I imagine early on when you were they were colonizing the moon, right? You couldn't, mm-hmm. no one could be a waste. Right. Everyone had to do their part and yeah. fill whatever role they could as best they could. And naturally, a, a leading class rose up because some people are more suited to lead than others. Right. And, and that makes sense. And they would look to, you know, history and find, okay, well, where can we find a good idea for our, our society with the least waste possible? And they found Plato's society. That's true. I mean, there's actually a reference. Um, Leto says, you you know Leto, um, Nero's almost sort of adopted his ward. ward. Yes, Thor. Um, it's easy to forget him because he dies pretty early on, which is a shame because I liked him. Yeah, he's a cool character. It's funny nice how, Darryl. just as an aside, how Nero is like drawn to pretty good people, like better people than him. Yeah, I mean, he's trying to a trash person. He's a pretty trash person, although I want to talk more about him later. But Yeah, anyway. we should do like 15 minutes on Nero. <laughs> There's a lot to say about Nero, and we don't won't get another chance because he dies in this book. <laughs> Spoilers. Oh, no, he doesn't. Oh, he does. He does. No, Jackal totally kills him. Anyway, Jackal kills him at the triumph. Yes. No, yes, I remember. Um, point is that Leto makes a reference. He says, gold rules because we are, like, we're meant to be sort of shepherds, and 
were the, like the philosopher kings of Plato. Like that was born from the Republic. He calls them the philosopher kings of Plato, and so like it really is a very direct reference in that sense. Um, but that's how gold sees itself, especially the more moral gold, because you have people like Carnus who care about pride and family, and that's basically it. That's basically, like, the only thing that matters to them, or the Julii, who care about money and power also. I mean, power is obviously a big theme in this, especially among the golds. But people like Leto, or even Mustang, are take their job as gold seriously. They say, we're the best of humanity. It's our job to look after it, basically. Like, we rule because we're the best suited to it. And that's naive, but they really do believe it. And they take it as a responsibility. Yeah, and you see it in, like, the the better golds. And Darrow talks a lot about the that idea. We, I mean, we already talked about this, but the nobility of gold. And, like, he's surrounded by a lot of people who are that. Right. Um, like, for all his faults, Cassius is noble. Yeah. Um, now, it sounds obvious in this book, but it becomes more obvious later. But, like. He doesn't want to be doing the things he does. Right. Um, He's sort of brought he, low by grief, especially. After yeah, and book. also, like, by the people around him. Right. Yeah, I definitely. Mean, He's being manipulated by Octavia, for sure. His mom's kind of a psychopath. And, I mean, he loves his family and would do anything for them. I can relate to that. And so I if his mom's we, like, this is what you need to do for his family, for your family, then he's like, all right. <laughs> and family's all that matter, really matters in the gold universe. Like and family is and it. power. I mean, it really depends on who you ask. I, I think family matters very deeply, but not in the way that it matters to the Reds. Like, the Reds is about the love of family and companionship. Whereas for gold, it's the pride of family, and it's what your family can give you, and what you can give back to your family to, like, elevate that. But it all plays into this idea of power and prestige and pride. That's a good point. I think... um one of the, you you kind of struck on something really cool there, the difference between the red family and the the gold family because right. they don't really talk about anyone else, but like the blues don't have family per se. That's true. The yeah. blues are raised in their sex. Um, I imagine there are similar things for other people. The obsidians have their tribes, but the golds like killed familial companionship for them intentionally. Yeah, they have their. I think their what's it? Three forms of touch. Yeah, like, a, like the touch, touch of life, man. the touch of death, the touch of love. Yeah, you touch to, I guess, to heal, Kid. right? Like if somebody's, if somebody's, like needs first aid. Yeah, yeah, the touch of life is obviously the first aid. Um, violence. Yeah, and the then touch there's, of death. What was the third one you said? The touch of love. Right, but they, they make a point of saying that like casual, like physical touch is not a thing for obsidians. The golds yes. took that and threw it in the garbage. They're like, no, it'll make you weak. Then you won't go to Valhalla. So, like, you can have sex <laughs> because you have to reproduce and anything else would make you weak, basically. Yep. Just so tragic. But it didn't it stop is. them from developing familial bonds. Like, Ragnar makes a point of talking about how he lives for his family. And, you know, he's so he loves his sister, sisters and brothers and his mother and, like, family is still important to Ragnar, despite the fact that Gold did the best they could to crush familial bonding. That's another scene that gives me goosebumps. I know. Oh, my God. At the end. Yeah, when Mustang's like, show them what you live for. And he's like, bitch. <laughs> I, like, I live for my sister. I live for my mother. I live for my people. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. 
<laughs> it's such a good book. It's so good. I love it. I love Ragnar. But um, I love those very charged moments. There's a lot of very charged emotional moments because this is the turning point book for better and for yes, worse. Yes, absolutely. This is like the the kind of you know that moment where you like tip like you maybe like you bump over a glass or something and it starts to tip over. <laughs> and like so there, there's that fir- there's like three phases. The first phase where you're like, eh, is it gonna fall? <laughs> And the second phase, you're like, it's going to fall. And it starts to tip, but it's not... The momentum has... The weight hasn't shifted enough for it to fall quickly yet. Yeah, you're still reaching for it. You still think you might save it. Yeah, and then the third book is when it falls off the table and it's tumbling down. (laughs) And shattering on the floor. (laughs) Well, yes. (laughs) Spilling everywhere. Um, It's a mess, but in a good way. There's lots of... The allegory kind of falls apart at that point. (laughs) Oh, no. I mean, there's lots of blood everywhere. There is lots of blood. That's for sure. That's for sure. Definitely a part of book three. (laughs) Um... But yes, and, and book two with the Iron Rain. Yeah, TBH, big part of book two. Oh my god, the Iron Rain was awesome though. Like literally, but, but, I'm sitting there. I'm like, I know that Darrow and Sephiroth are spending this whole time being like, oh god, war is so bad, and we're losing all our friends. And I'm like, Iron Rain is so cool. <laughs> I know it's so cool. <laughs> like this book is slapping me in the face, being like, don't glorify this. And I'm like, it's pretty glorious though. <laughs> it's kind of cool. <laughs> And it's like, like I know a it's real wrong. struggle. <laughs> yeah, honestly, um, I I do I love I love that, but but we'll get to that in a second. Yes, okay. so I think the the cool thing to note though is is the difference between the ideas of family, because as you pointed out, gold family is all about power and a give and take. Right, like it's all about what you can do for your family and what they can do for you. It's not about, and it's, it's not a lot of sense of love. Now there are exceptions, but. Love doesn't really come into the equation. Yeah, like Cassius has family pride, but he definitely has family affection too. I mean, that's that's he why he was so upset about Julian. Like he it was he just loved Julian. Julian. Like it, it doesn't seem like I'm sure he loves his mom, but like his nieces and Julian nephews was too. the one. Like if Carnus got killed, I don't think he would have taken that so personally. And he'd be like, all right, like yeah, I have to I have to set myself against you because of family pride, but like declaring a blood feud with him. Yeah, like making it actually between Darrow and Cassius. Yeah, making I mean, that a, a serious competition, like a that moment where they are now set against each other forever. Right. That I think is because he had such a tight bond with Julian. But Julian was not the typical gold. Right. He was he, another noble gold. Like he had goodness in him and it, what's What's interesting about him is that in a family like the Bologna, I mean, like, their their name literally comes from the word for war. Like, they are a fierce group. Very warlike. Oh, yeah. Like, was was it Carnus who was saying, like, we made our own razors, like, we trained as soon as we could walk. Like, Yes, most of us could fight before we could and, talk. Yeah, combat and war is bred into them. And the fact that that family was given Julian... And appreciated him. Like, Karnas didn't, but he's a dick. Who cares about him? Like, everyone else was like, Julian's special. <laughs> yeah, and we, we worry about him because he's not strong enough to survive a little bit. But also, we'll cut anyone who, you know, gives the dying blow to him. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. But that's why I feel like the Bologna do have family love. Like, real, real love that even somebody like Darrow could recognize who comes from only love. But not all of them. You see Carnus who basically asked, like thanked him for killing Julian. Yeah. Carnus sucks. <laughs> Carnus is awful. But anyway, so like, yeah, that, that's the line. But then you look at red who have 
like the purest ideals of family. Yes. Like the the red have the the family ideals goal. Yeah, definitely. Because that's that is their wealth. Yeah. Yes, that is yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, I also think it's kind of (laughs) probably a part of that is because they like come from Ireland. Yeah. Yeah, big, and, big Irish that, families. That, and yeah, that's a culture, and, and that's the culture in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. Singing, dancing, loving your family. And I don't know where the gold came from, but... Red hair. They were, <laughs> yeah, red, red Germany, heads. probably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I always wonder about this book. I don't know if we talked about it at all in the first episode, but I always wonder, like, are there races within the colors? You know... Um, because I, I do kind of feel like golds are all white because they have that sort of white supremacist vibe That's going on. That's how they carry on. themselves. Huh? That's how they carry themselves. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, it, if they're willing to make slaves of anyone who even is just of a different class than them, I feel like probably they're not accepting of other skin colors. <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> Although, actually, maybe that's what bronzies are. Maybe bronzies are mixed race. No, no, no. Bronzies are just crappy gold. I know, but maybe that, like, that's what the gold say. They, they're tarnished gold, but maybe they're tarnished because they're not as porcelain as the the iron gold and the other. I mean, I think the idea is like, I mean, when it was described, it's like their hair isn't like really pure gold, and like it shows that they're not of of superior breeding, which I think just means genetic control. Yeah, although it is interesting, like, because they have the whole board of quality control, and they mentioned it very offhand um, at the end when there was so much other shit going on, but uh, the jackal says the board of quality control didn't even order an exposure for me, because I guess, a la the Spartans, they leave their children out, like, in the wilderness for days at a time if they are considered weak or inferior. Yep. So, that's something. That's a fun thing. You won't even um, euthanize them. You like just leave them to die. I mean, maybe it's, a, it's supposed to show their strength or whatever. I mean, isn't that what the Spartans did? Yeah, yeah I mean, it was like it, if you can survive they, this, then fine, you can be one of us. But you can live. Yeah. Yes, although they did it to like, well, they did it to babies sometimes, but didn't they mostly do it to like six-year-olds? No, they they six-year-olds is when they went to military school, basically. Oh, they like okay. left their like, like their childhood was over at six. They went left and went to train for the rest of their lives and be soldiers. You know, until like they're thirty, then they died. <laughs> uh, until the Thermopylae. <laughs> what? Until Thermopylae. That's when all the Spartans died. They all lived. All of them. All three hundred of them. They had this secret of immortality. <laughs> I mean, it was probably more like two thousand, but okay. Yeah. Well, what? The per- the personal guard for the 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 king of Sparta of uh, Sparta was two thousand soldiers. But wasn't the whole point that it was three hundred? No, that's like that's that's, that's a, a myth. That's a myth. Oh damn! I didn't realize that. I mean, well, I knew it was we're the not, personal we're guard. Not sure. thing. We're not sure, but the personal guard for like the king of Spartan the, Spar- the king of Sparta was like two thousand Spartans. Huh. So like, and the whole idea was he was like, I'm just going with my personal guard. So, Peach, you should probably categorize this in the educational podcast section because I just learned something. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Cece? You're right. <laughs> Time to make a change. 
we're now a classical history podcast. I'm sure none of those exist yet. Yep, not one. Definitely not one. Totally original idea. <laughs> yeah, wow. God, it's TM, TM, TM. <laughs> no, that is really cool, though. No, all, all kidding aside. Thank you. But um, we, were you talk about race? we were talking about family. Let's back away from that. Oh, wait, race. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, actually, I did remember while we were on a tangent, which is kind of why we do tangents. Yes, um, there's a purpose. <laughs> yeah, so we can think of other <laughs> shit to say. <laughs> so we can plan our future tangents. <laughs> Race, Peter, There's race, a tangent go. planning tangent. All right, so <laughs> when um, when Dara goes over the wall during the Iron Reign, yes, and that like one Ponty guy came comes up and is like, "I am so and so of so and so." Yes, like you will face me, and Dara's like, "Kill this idiot." Um, <laughs> we need his grab I think boots. I think the quote is literally, "Kill this fool." Kill this fool. We need his grab boots. That is the <laughs> full the quote. <laughs> That's the best line. Um, Thank you, Darrow. Darryl well, it's it's, a... it's actually Ragnar kill this fool. We need his grab boots. My my favorite quotes from this book or these books is like when Darrow's like, "This is an idiotic thing. You're so stupid." When Darrow's just done, Darrow's done with all Darrow on the edge. <laughs> yeah, but um, not emotionally, does... just like just tired. Like I'm done. <laughs> I'm so sick of this shit. Um. No, so he mentions that he must be from Venus because his skin is not as fair, basically. Oh, yeah. So, like, That's interesting. Darker skinned people come from Venus. Hmm. Well, it's closer to the uh, sun. I mean, I guess. It has a thicker atmosphere, too, but I guess. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> I mean, they're all terraformed, so. It would still get more exposed to more solar radiation, I think. Yes, unless they made, like,. So they had like their cloud cities, maybe they're UV protected. Anyway, um, <laughs> they don't really expand on that. No, everything's. It didn't sound like they were. It was tan. It sounded like he was. He was like of a, a darker, like, darker skin. Darker That's interesting. I mean, yeah. I feel like I would like that. I would. I. I like to picture it as being ethnically diverse while also within the strata of the society. Hmm. Well, let me see. I don't think it's any book we've done, but hmm, is it? You tell me. But I Are once read seeing... a book. Go on. I, I read a book once where basically all people had, like, a similar skin color just because at that point, like, interbreeding. Because, like, the reason yeah. why different skin colors exist is because for millennia or millennia, like, what, for a very long time, V long time. Millennia. Um, yeah, I think millennia is a fair word. Um, anyway, people didn't have contact with each other because, like, travel was hard. Yes. But as we progress more, travel becomes more common, except in some specific cases. Not talking not talk about that. Um, but travel becomes easier and easier and easier. Like, never before have I been able to get in a plane for, like, less than like $2,000 and fly to Africa in two days. Like Less than like even. Tomo- I mean, like, totally. Depending on how much like, money I, you got. <laughs> like, tomorrow I could be in Africa. Yes. And that's an insane concept. That's just because of our time. Yes. True. And, like, I could move to Africa in relative, like, find a job on the internet, fly to Africa, work there, and live there. And that could be where I live now. And that would not be that insane. Yeah, people do it. And so there's, like, a the idea is, like, races and and genes kind of mix. And also, like, there's some level of purposeful effort by the government to make things less combative. But, yeah. 
Um, you know what it was? It was totally, was that- it was The Forever War. Forever War? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I don't think that's the first book that we've read that's mentioned people being kind of ethnically homogeneous, but it made a point of it. Yes, I have read other ones, but yeah, that one's the one I'm thinking of recently. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. But, but anyway, I yeah. can see that. I could see that being a thing here, except for the fact that, like, at some point, I think it'll go away to an extent, but since you still have, like, planets, that and you still, like, it takes a while, it takes months to travel between planets, so, like... There is still some I'm, insulation. Yeah, I'm betting there's... I'm betting the lines are probably m- more blurred, but there's definitely some lines still. Right. And I mean, the golds... The whole thing with the golds is that they were from Luna. Like, they, they were obviously originally from Earth, but made their whole society on Luna, and then conquered Earth. So, really, they're lunar. That is, their race is lunar. True. Honestly, every time they say, like, we are the Orient, I always think of Oriental, like, with an O. Oh. And I always think, like... It's Orient. Yeah, or Orient, yeah. (laughs) I always connect it with Oriental, and I'm like, I guess they're Asian. (laughs) Like, that's always my brain. We are the the Orient. <laughs> I know. I had a hard time with that originally too. Then I was like, "Oh, or we, like or yeah, on audiobook." Like, <laughs> Peter and I were talking about how the um, the listening experience and the reading experience are different. Like you picture the words being kind of the way you picture them, and then you read them, and they're like stylized in a different way, and it's off-putting. <laughs> so you're like, "That's not or how when they spell Democrat with a K." Why did they do that? I don't understand. Listeners, if you know why, tell us. My my running <laughs> Maybe theory it's a root is thing. like I don't know. Uh I mean, um they're all about like the classics. Didn't Greeks the Greeks had like an equivalent for K, but there was no C, right? That's what I'm saying. Maybe it's a Greek thing. That's why I, I want to find Greek. out that there's like a real reason for it. I wanna know that it's not just like Pierce Brown's like, eh, fuck it. They hate eh, the we'll put a K in there. <laughs> They hate Democrats so much they can't even be bothered to spell it right. There's also a certain sense of, like, you know, Democrat become less talked about or whatever, like, over time. Yeah. It falls out of common use and eventually just gets spelled differently. Like, someone fucked it up at some point. Yeah, that's true enough. Hey, you want to finally let loose on EO? Yeah. We had some restraint in the first episode because we are like, there's things you need to know. (laughs) Yeah. EO's the fucking worst. (laughs) I hate you. <laughs> like, I love... I, one of the great things about this book is Darrow gaining perspective on EO. Yes. And, like, it's he still loves her. Dinner. And he's like, you know, she had faults, but she was also, what, 16 when she died? Like, mm-hmm. she was a child, really. And you can't really hold her that accountable for it. But I thought it was interesting when he, he runs into Harmony initially, and she sort of reveals that EO was pregnant at the time. And... Yes, obviously singing that song shouldn't be a capital offense, but she also willfully committed a capital offense because she was pissed off Daryl wouldn't do what she told him to do. Even yeah. though she was carrying another life, like her her child, her child and her husband's child. It's like so unbelievably selfish. I, it's unforgivable for me. Yeah, like she willfully did. No one made her sing that song. Right. And, like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure getting whipped sucks. Yeah, for sure. Like, I I can pretty much guarantee I will never, ever have to experience something like that. Yeah, knock on wood. You don't know what you just brought yeah. on us through jinxing. Uh, I think this is wood. <laughs> uh, but then you, like, you you see that? I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm sure it's awful. But, yes. like, 
It's a, like it'll be over. Yes. Like in ten minutes, it's over. I don't think she was killing herself because she couldn't handle the whipping. For the record. No, I agree with you. But like, I'm saying like take your like. There's a reason why the expression "take your lashes" exists. Yes. Take your lashes. Keep your mouth shut. Go on, have a happy life. Yes. And also, you can have, have a chance to later and be smarter about it. Yes. Yes. Like, why does point? it have to be now? I never understood why it had to be then. And she doesn't know that it's going to get broadcast. Like, she doesn't know that the Sons of Aries are going to hack their broadcast right. and spread them around. She is one lucky like, bitch. Like, all she thinks is, like, the like 45 people gathered in the city square are going to hear the song. And that's it. Her whole thing is she wants to motivate Darrow. She wants to be a martyr and motivate Darrow. And, that like, it shows, A, a complete lack of understanding about him. And, like, the way he works. Like, yeah, it motivated him eventually, but, like, how did she not think he would just be buried in grief, especially if he found out about the crib? I know she told Dio about it, and Dio took care of it, but it doesn't really matter. Like, oh, God. (laughs) The idea, like, you're making that choice for both of you, and robbing Darrow of the only thing he ever wanted because of what you want. It's, It's just unjustifiable behavior and and you you did point out yes she's a teenager and it means she doesn't get the like what marriage is about <laughs> they haven't been married that long okay <laughs> it's supposed to be about putting like, the other person for first bit. for serious yeah and like yeah, caring about what they I want i think you knew that before you got married yes exactly but i also got married when i was 24 and not 15 or 16 whatever age she was well that's because you were slow yeah, well, <laughs> I was a late bloomer. <laughs> <laughs> you can't hold that against me or EO. But <laughs> the point is, like, yeah, people, I feel like, generally know that when marriage is not supposed to be about getting your partner to do what you want, that is not the point. You're supposed to love them where they are, which she didn't. Her love for Daryl was kind of conditional. It was do what I say. <laughs> it was listen to me, punk. I love you because you are, like, a hero, and I want you to be a leader. And, like, I, I believe that she loved him in her way, but it was a selfish kind of love. It was not, it was not developed to the point that it needed to be <laughs> to, like, have a lasting yeah. marriage. Like, I don't doubt that they would have gotten there given time, but she took that chance away from them, so I don't care. Screw yeah, you, you. Like, that was her thing. She made decisions for them. God, I hate you. Yeah, and, like... Harmony's like, you don't know what the golds took from you. It's like, I'm sorry, bitch. You took that from him. Yeah. Like the, gold, the golds, yeah, the like- golds, again, it's not reasonable to execute her for what she did. I'm not saying the golds were in the right here, but it's not like they knew she was pregnant. The golds did nothing wrong. <laughs> it, it's not like they knew she was pregnant. I don't know if it would have made a difference, but... I don't think it would have. Huh? I'm not sure it would. I don't think it would have, but like the point is, they were not deliberately like, "I'm gonna kill this man's wife and his baby." Like, <laughs> that was not the Golds being spiteful. That was Eo, one hundred percent. Being an idiot. No, being a jackass, not an idiot. She knew what she was doing. Yeah, you're right. Jackass is a better phrase. Screw Eo. <laughs> but she's the worst. But again, Daryl gained some perspective on this. Like he. 
Oh, he never says screw you, but that's okay. <laughs> but when you he did goes, love her and was married to her. When he goes back to Lycos, I think it's a really beautiful sort of like hazy scene. Like him walking around in this weird alternate universe where he's a gold and all the demons of his childhood look so weak and pathetic to him now and are just prostrating themselves before him being like, oh, Lord Andromedus, what can we do for you? Be my friend. I love, I love you. you. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then when he went to the garden and he was like, this is kind of sad. Like the flowers are wilted and there's trash everywhere. And he's like, I wonder if it was like this the first time I came here. Because from his perspective as a red, it it was the most beautiful place he'd ever seen. Like this magical enchanted place. But the only other place he'd ever seen was the mines and the township. And yeah, and not exactly a good comparison. Yeah. He had never seen the sky before, let alone grass and trees and flowers. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's a metaphor for Eo. Like, Eo might have grown into a really wonderful woman. That chance is gone now, obviously. So he has to remember her, I guess, through the through the lens of how he knew her, which was when he was also really young. Yeah, and, like, it's the defi- very definition of rose-colored glasses. Yeah, for like... serious. And he sort of consciously notes that and is like, yep, I'm gonna, like, like I... remember her how she was and love her regardless but she had faults like i i can now look back and say like i'm far enough removed and enough heal that i could say she was not perfect and she doesn't need yes. to be perfect but she wasn't perfect either way yeah. regardless of whether she needed to be or not she was not she perfect. was not <laughs> regardless of what i would have done for the story she was flawed and i can acknowledge that and still love her anyway which folks is what marriage is about thank you darrow for figuring that out. For, for cracking that code. Uh, no one knew until you. <laughs> Thank you, Pierce Brown. You have all the answers. <laughs> Pierce Brown, marriage counselor and author. <laughs> what if, though? Um, I mean, I pretend to be having trouble in my marriage to meet Pierce to Brown. To meet Pierce Brown. Oh, yeah. Oh, we can't stop fighting. Oh, no. Yeah, we ba- very bad. Yes, do need to be brought to the top of your list. Thank you. <laughs> really quick. Thank you. Appreciate that. Good man. <laughs> Good man. <clears throat> um. Anyway, yeah. Fuck you. God, I hate you. I can't talk enough about how much I hate you. I know. I was like, here you go, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And you then I talked the whole me. time. <laughs> I, I have ranted about EO endlessly. <laughs> I just, I'm not a fan. Ah, oh, she's awful. I'm like, okay. I felt so vindicated at the end. His mom's like, I never liked EO for you. I'm like, yes, moms always okay. get it. <laughs> Fuck yes, mom. She got it. She figured it. She's like, yeah, you, you was a nice girl, but not for you. Well, she literally like, is like, she, she, I was worried she'd make you fight her fights and she loved to fight. And, and literally that's what happened. Damn it, mom. You nailed it on the head. I got it in one. I, moms, man, they get it. They fucking get it. And yeah, whatever. Oh. She's got benefit of hindsight, but I don't care. Like, yes, mom. Good job. That whole scene. Oh my yeah. God. Oh, that's such a good scene. So, like, like, again, powerful, powerful stuff. Yeah, like, his mom recognizes him. And, like, I can't imagine how hard that must be. Because that was part of what his his whole, like, concern was. Like, yeah, if I do this, no one will ever recognize me again. Like, I will be a stranger in my own home. Like, that was part person. of his, his thoughts with Mickey. And then, you know, I can understand being completely freaked out about it. And then all of a sudden, though, you find out that it's okay. Like, it's all okay. It has to be as important a moment as Severo. 
like the the conversation with Severo. Absolutely. Because <laughs> the conversation with Severo was his gold friend accepting him as a red and the conversation with his mom was his red family accepting him as a gold and like he really truly is both like he despite his his beginnings is iron gold like he is the ideal he just has a yeah, heart he has proven himself <laughs> like the very traditional idea heart. of an iron gold yes he's a very yes, strong very heart. big good heart thanks to mickey well th- thanks well, to no, mickey thanks we understand how fancy his heart is <laughs> his fancy fancy heart his fancy heart it's like a horse. <laughs> like a fancy horse. <laughs> oh my god. Those are uh, good. Anyhow. Yeah, it was just beautiful. And oh my god. The fear he felt when he heard his mom coming down the stairs. He's like, I could just leave. And she'd think I'm like a weird, curious gold who popped in to take a look. Yeah. And she's like, But he was oh, frozen hello. by fear. Yeah. And it was just a very nice, it was a very cute moment. It was lovely. It was lovely. Like, everything that happened in Lycos was very important. Yes, absolutely. Shall we talk about Mustang? Um, yeah. Go Virginia. Go Virginia. Um, I said good old Virginia, oh. but... Also go Virginia, though. Go go for Virginia. I hear it's lovely this time of year. <laughs> <laughs> and it's for lovers. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Never mind, I'm out. Bye. <laughs> oh, no, Peter quit the podcast. It's just me now, folks. <laughs> I'm sorry to do this to everyone. <laughs> I just can't handle it anymore. Okay. Um, yeah. Anywho, she's a she's a really interesting character because she still has all this loyalty for her family, despite the fact that she doesn't really like them that much, and she certainly doesn't trust them. Like her relationship mm-hmm. with the jackal is really interesting, for one thing. But it's fair that she doesn't trust them. Like they're terrible. They're pretty bad people, and she knows it, but she's still loyal to them. Like, that was what she kept saying to Darrow after Darrow showed her the video of the carving. She's like, they're my family. You want me to go against my family? And he's like, kind of. <laughs> a little bit. They're kind of terrible. And she's like, granted, but they're my family. <laughs> it's an interesting tug. Uh, yes. I mean, it kind of goes to, like, she is a good gold. Like, like look, you know, we've all hated our families at times. Not me. <laughs> oh, oh really yes oh well i'm your brother so that clearly you're lying <laughs> can't possibly be true but you know we've all been mad at our family we've all we're like you know we all know that our family has character flaws right like god knows we know our family has character flaws <laughs> yes let's, let's, it's okay. we how about we don't even get started listen. on that <laughs> It's okay, none of them listen. Remember, remember in, uh, I think it was, well, wait, which book was it? When we talked, I think it was Forever War, where we talked about how we could, like, make a dream team of not our entire family. What? <laughs> we, we, oh, no, no, it was Bobaverse. We can make a dream we talked team? About how we, we talked about how we'd be fine with doing this so we could see the future, and we wouldn't even need all of our family. <laughs> like, we could comfortable with some of it. <laughs> we love our family, though, for reals. <laughs> Oh, very dearly, but that's my point. Yes, yes. <laughs> you you love your family. You don't always have to you like all have... the people you love. Yeah. You don't have to ever like some of the people you love. <laughs> wow, Peter, you... I get the message, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. I don't think Mustang particularly likes her dad or her brother, but she still has familial loyalty for some reason. I mean, part of it that's bred into her. 
And she probably yeah, also exactly. got that from the telemanises, to be honest. Because they've got such a strong family, and she's like, cool, family's important. Got it. Telemannus is a, the best gold. Oh my god. <laughs> the best gold has to my offer. Fav- There's no question Daxo, about it. My favorite golds. Especially. I mean, listen, Cavax is amazing. And Pax is Cavax is wonderful and delightful. But Daxo's, like, got a, got a brain in that big old noggin, and people don't expect it. Yeah, he's, like, gentle and, like, talks softly, and he has, like, the angels in his he- on his head. And he's, like, bigger than Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> he, like, speaks softly and says smart shit, and everyone's like, what the fuck? <laughs> this was unexpected, and his dad's so bombastic and, like, oh, my God. I just love Talking about magic and the fox. I know. Oh, it's jelly beans. <laughs> jelly bean magic. The fox, who, <laughs> the fox who has been cloned. Sophocles, right? Sophocles is the name of the Sophic- fox? Sophocles. Amazing. Like the the 20th generation of clones. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> the Telemannuses always have their one fox. <laughs> <laughs> so the point is, Mustang's got this deep loyalty to family, despite the fact that her family... Well, the only good person in her family was apparently Claudius, and he gone. So she's kind of like... Her mom. Yeah, but her her mom's gone too. Long gone, right? I mean, yeah, no, they're all dead. Yeah, all, all the good people, the good people in her family are dead, sure. is the point. And she's sort of marooned. It's like the sole <laughs> moral compass in the whole mm-hmm. Augustus household. But she still yes. loves them. Like, they still matter to her. And it's still a betrayal for her to turn their ba- her back on Gold and her family. A betrayal that, you know, might be too big for her. To undertake mm-hmm. you know what i mean absolutely and like i and i literally i mean this was not the first time i read this book but with the first time i read this book i like literally didn't know what was gonna happen when he revealed it to mustang and she left i was like i thought she was gonna side with him but i didn't know that she was gonna side with him and we That's still don't know at the end of this books. book like it is left like, I, blank i love these books because he's so good at that like i didn't see the triumph coming do you mean roke well, I mean, yes. That, that particular like, part of the triumph? Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't see the triumph being a betrayal coming. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, because... When I first watched it, like, obviously. I know now. Now you saw it coming. Um, Peter didn't read the last chapter of this book. <laughs> I can't... Ta- I read... No, so, like, <laughs> the first two times I that I have... Um, I've, I've done this book, because this is the third, go- third or fourth go-through of this book for me. And... The first two times, I have, but <laughs> can't stomach I it anymore. Again. It's just so horrible, and like every moment of it's burned into my memory. You'll never forget so, like, anyway. I don't have to read it. Uh, yeah, it, it's so bad. It's so hard, and I don't know. Like they're building up to it pretty obviously with Roke, and it still feels mm-hmm. like a shock because his relationship with Roke was like so loving in the beginning of the book and like yes. you watch it get torn down, but Roke leaves the door open. Like, Oh, relationships take years to mend. And Dara's like, Oh cool. So you're interested in mending it. And then Roke's like, nah, no, I killed you. <laughs> no, kill this you. is over. Thank you. I, goodbye. I'm killing everyone. <laughs> bye bye. It's, it's honestly, it's so cold. And that's, yeah, it's really, and it's funny because you, you have Severo who's like so savage, but so loyal and you have Virginia, she's like this genius and she's really calculating and, you know, she's got 
this whole family loyalty thing. Like, you, you have all these characters who have, like, reasons not to side with Darrow. And Rogue seems so gentle and philosophical. And, like, he could get it. And he is by far the coldest. And Sever even says in the beginning, he's like, there's no way Sever would side with you on this. Or there's no way, there's no way Roke would side with you on this. He's too in love with this color. Like you just said, like his mom works for the board of quality control. Yeah. He thinks the measures are cold, but he doesn't No, His his mom's a, wait, isn't his mom a Senator? (sighs) No, that's his mom's a Senator. He definitely has somebody on the board of quality control because he mentions it at the uh, Institute. Maybe they used to work on the board of quality control. I'm not sure. Or maybe they work on like a, a, a the, the a Senate subcommittee of quality control yeah. <laughs> on the on the board of all. All right, but, anyway. <laughs> but the point I'm is, I'm certain as my parents are senator. The point is, he's like, yeah, yeah, it's pretty messed up, right? But um, gold rules, <laughs> and everyone else drools. <laughs> like he really, he yeah. he is drinking the Kool Aid, man. I mean, and you, but you, we talked about it earlier. The idea of Plato's philosopher kings, right? right. Like, Rook probably read that in the original Greek when he was like ten. Yeah, probably. So like he, I think that's probably been part of his, a severe part of his education. Yeah, like, that's true. You are the pinnacle of mankind. Like even Plato predicted this happening. Right. Like there is no other way, basically. Right. You are living the dream of the ancient Greek philosophers. You are the mm-hmm. heir to it, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know it's a powerful thing to be convinced that you're the heir of, like three thousand years of history. Right. Even more at this point, and, probably. I mean, yes, we have no idea what. We've tried to figure this out. We're not really sure. <laughs> it would be a waste of everyone's time. Seems like the late 20th, 22nd century is when society came to power. But anyway. Um, yeah, so Roke, I think that's why Roke has such a... That there was never any question that Roke would be gold. But it's still... but Yes, that is true within, within the book. But I think that I at least did not... I didn't expect it to be such a flip. Because it's a flip. Like, even though you see the friendship eroding, I don't think that's why Roke betrayed Darrow. Roke betrayed Dr- Darrow because he found out he was red. And he had, like, mm-hmm. nothing left to cling to. Like, it was a combination of our friendship's kind of been dismantled by you and your choices, Darrow. Yeah, to be fair, Darrow did shitty things and betrayed his <laughs> Darrow knowingly decided, time after time, to fuck Roke over. <laughs> I would argue maliciously Almost decided. maliciously, right? Like, the whole time he's like, yeah, I feel really bad about what I've been doing to Roke, and Roke's like, hi, Darrow, do you want to eat? Darrow's like, no, get out of here, Roke! <laughs> Can't you <laughs> tell I'm hanging out with Mustang and Severo and the fucking Jackal? Like, <laughs> Throw something at him. <laughs> yeah. the room, like, Can't you see I don't want you anymore? I'm hanging out with a dude that's literally nicknamed the Jackal. <laughs> I'm hanging out with a dude who's eaten people, and Instead everyone agrees as a sociopath. Instead of you. And he is the but new keeper of my secrets. Even though you were going to, like, put yourself on the line to save me when you thought I was in danger. Like, <laughs> he repeatedly shits on poor Roke. And I'm sorry that your girlfriend died, but fuck you anyway. <laughs> D- died saving me, by the way. Yeah, saving my life. Saving died my life. And as a part of my bluff. Um, so that's your bad, probably. I assume. I, I am also going to go ahead and, um, yes, let the murderer escape. Yes. You know, for the greater good. And I'm not going to tell you about <laughs> it or discuss good. it with you at all. I'm just going to do it because fuck you. I'm not going to be like, yeah, I'm sorry that I have to do this. Explain the reasons. Yeah, we'll catch you later. Oh, also, <laughs> yeah, you will be fighting the Praetorians in space. So good um, luck with that. Did not, te- did not tell you that either. Um, 
Because, you know, I'm going to risk it getting out and you're obviously not trustworthy. <laughs> well, I mean, in fairness, apparently he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but he was at that point trustworthy. They had that whole like moment where Roke like reached across the gap that Darrow had been digging for the last like six months and was like, Darrow, I still love you. You're still my brother. Like, I'm gonna put everything aside because we need to like be united today. And Darrow's like, cool, 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 bye bye bye. <laughs> and like farts on him as he leaves, like <laughs> <laughs> Well weird, I didn't remember reading. You're my that part. dearest friend. <laughs> <laughs> Daryl, you're so fake. I don't know why he does this. It's so frustrating. You see him just being a jerk to Rook the whole time. And the, you feel bad for Rook. You still don't necessarily see the degree of betrayal coming. But you do feel bad for him, at least. I do feel bad for and Rook. And Mustang's there the whole time being like, you're being a dick to Rook. <laughs> you gotta fix this. He, like, literally says every other day, hey, Daryl, have you fixed things with Rook yet? And Daryl's no, like, I'll get to eh, it. it's not important. <laughs> Like, he, he totally deserves to be betrayed by Rogue. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, for sure. I agree with you completely. <laughs> but, no, like... I, but, honestly, Fuck despite it. all of that... I mean, Rogue was pissed. He was pissed. But I feel like he still wouldn't have betrayed him if he hadn't found out that he was red. Like, that was... Like, he, he might have betrayed him eventually. I agree but he wouldn't have done it if, then. If Derek kept fucking him, yes. Yeah, if things continued the way they were going, then yes. But, like, they kind of talked, and they were like, we're going to work on it. We're going to go to counseling. <laughs> you were going, With Pierce Brown. We're going to Pierce Brown for marriage counseling. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm willing to give it another go. Um, but, but no, like, Roke is a racist. <laughs> Rogue, Rogue is like, racist. oh, why would I be brothers with a slave? Oh, you're red? Ooh. Basically, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Darrow calls him brother when he's all drugged and, like, dying. And Rook's like, no, you're the son of red. I'm the son of gold. We can't be brothers. You're a slave. And it's like, come on, you stupid little baby. Like, don't you know? Oh, you stupid red. Oh, you, you stupid You idiot red. red. I can't believe I ever admired you, basically. Like, Rook completely misses the message. Yes. But I, it's awful. And it's kind of, you know, it's ironic. It's kind of the wise man's fear, Peter. It's the anger of a gentle man. Yeah, it is. See, see I was literally about to say in reference to wise man's fear. Because it's like when Alvaron finds out that. Oh, spoilers. Uh, Gavoth is a Nimuru. Oh, yeah. He's like, what the fuck? He's totally racist about it. I forgot about that. Yeah, super racist about it. Well, not as much as Mei but anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, am I right, Mei We're not covering that book till next year. <laughs> <laughs> then maybe the year after that we'll have another sequel but that's neither here Doubt nor there <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna talk about that every episode from now on yeah, from now on because <laughs> now that our listeners have, have obviously 100% listened to the, the, uh, the name of the wind they're full of righteous anger like us <laughs> I'm like this podcast used to be okay but now it's just about how the doors of stone is never gonna come out and how it's not even called the doors of stone or something i don't know i don't listen anymore (laughs) i don't know who this guy patrick office is i've never seen him in a single sci-fi but he ruined this podcast (laughs) it's okay as long as they leave this podcast hating patrick office like us (laughs) that's all we need both hating and admiring him like (laughs) i do rogue in a way um well but no so what's going on I think 
something else we should say about Rook is um, I love that in this because in the last book he was just like a puff, like he was a he's a puff. <laughs> like <laughs> like he wasn't a big fighter, which is fair. He's like scrawny. Yeah, he's pot. <laughs> like I always imagine him as like a bookish nerd. Yeah, he's good at strategy. But, so but he can barely like, walk leaving the institute. Yeah, he was like hanging off Cassius. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was like frail and shit. Yeah, but I love that in this book he really comes into his own. And um, what is is it in this book they start calling him the poet of Dimos? Not yet. I think that must be what he's known as um, in the third book. But it's, isn't Dimos a Martian moon? Yes, Ph- Phobos and, so, and Deimos are uh, sons yeah, of Mars. So they start calling him the Mars. Poet of Deimos, and because of this battle. Because, like, Grok is, like, a prodigy in space. Yeah, I mean, what does Darrow say in the beginning? He's like, he said something about how space battle is, like, a symphony and Rook is a composer, or something to that effect. Like, yeah, say, R- Rook says, like, there's poetry in space battles. Yeah, it's really beautiful. There's a certain flow to He's it. He's suited to it, it. It's a very... It's a very idyllic kind of view. Know, it seems so peaceful. Which is classic, classic gold about war. Totally. Totally classic it's gold. It's perfectly gold. 100% but agree. I can, ima- I can kind of picture that, though. Like, ships kind of almost dancing their way through space. There's I mean, I've through, seen like, Star Wars. Movie. Yeah, <laughs> I saw Star Wars. It's beautiful. But, I mean, for real, though. Like, the way they move and, like, they're in their formations and, like, whoosh around. It is very beautiful. Almost like they're swimming. Th- like they're, it's like they're swimming. Like little schools of fish. Yeah, and, you know, you don't... It's not like, you know, war here on, you know, Monday, normal war on Earth, where, like, the things are loud, blowing up, shocking you. Like, if you get... Vi- basically, if you feel vibrations, you're probably dead anyway. True enough. Yeah, it's... So, it's, like, you're just kind of... It's calm, it's peaceful. Definitely. So, I kind of get why Rogue is... Like, yeah, there's a beauty to it. Yeah, he's not so much for the dueling, but he can really crush a naval battle. Yes. Very good naval battle. Ah, <laughs> uh, poor Rook. Well, not poor Rook. Rook's a racist, but... Rook's a racist bastard, but... <laughs> but I he is a gentleman. Was... I wish he didn't have to be. And his yeah. anger is something to behold. By the way, Cece, I, I, I did hear the, thir- the three things again. It's... Uh, a sea and storm, a, a night with no moon, and the anger of a gentleman. Yes. Those are the three. The sea and storm kind of suits him, too, because he was always so placid. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, like, he can rage with the best of them. Yeah, just wait till you see him next book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just amazed that he would ever ally himself with the jackal. But then again, it's kind of amazing that Darrow ever allied himself with the jackal, so. That's another thing Mustang well, kept it- warning him about. She's like, don't. Don't trust him. <laughs> and Darrow's like, Seriously, I've got it under control. Andrews. And she's like, Darrow, for serious. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's fine. And she's like, by the way, have you talked to Roke? Mosling <laughs> tries so hard to save Darrow from himself. <laughs> God bless her. She deserves a medal. <laughs> I, um, yeah, honestly, I love the scene where she's like, listen to me. Like, I am smarter than anyone you have ever met. I am a genius, and this is not a boast. <laughs> She's like, this is for serious. I'm just saying it because it's true. How do I know it's true? Because I'm smarter than anyone you've ever met. <laughs> yeah, like... But she pulls it I off. I am the smartest person. She doesn't seem like a jerk about I it. Mean, 
no, she's 100% right. And she's like, yes, like, this is not a boast. This is not me just sitting here, like, talking on my ass. I am the smartest person you have ever met. Right. She's awesome. And, which is fair. Mustang's the best. She's pretty amazing. Not gonna lie. Yeah. She's like, but my brother's a sociopath. Don't trust him. And. Yeah. Don't trust him. I'm smarter than him. You don't That's another really well done arc, though. Like, there's a lot of really good secondary and tertiary character arcs going on. Like, way more interesting than Darrow's to me. (laughs) Because. There's a lot of subtlety in this There's a lot. I mean, the Jackal, like, I kind of liked him for a while. Like. Yeah, he was charming. I mean, he fooled me, you know? He. Which is sociopathic, like, to be fair. No, totally. Ted Budney, hello. Um, yeah, no, like, the the jackal was perfectly done. Yes. Very well executed. Oh, sorry, please continue. Where it's like, even when you know his nature, he can still hide it from you. He can still make you trust him. Like, at first, Darrow's like, okay, I have to align myself with him. He's literally my only option. But then he was no longer Darrow's only option, and he stayed allied with him. And it, it never really made any sense to me. Mm-hmm. But he really, I mean, he really does become kind of charming. Like, he and Darrow drink together, and, like, he gives him love advice. <laughs> totally plays him and the audience like a fiddle. And Darrow doesn't realize he's being drawn in, but he totally is. He gets complacent. Yep, absolutely. Like, honestly, the rescue mission that he pulled was kind of dumb. It seemed pretty obvious to me. Like, you don't think he's going to put two and two together that you show up and immediately his prisoners get taken out like he's not an idiot yeah and i mean he's a genius like that's the They're whole genius is <laughs> yeah all these bastards Especially those Augustans. jeez oh man yeah honestly though um so yeah <laughs> okay but good job um, jackal Good job, Jackal. Good job, Pierce Brown, for writing an excellent, like, doing an excellent job of writing a sociopath. Definitely. Very well done. Are, are you a sociopath? Me? No, Pierce Brown? No, oh. Pierce Brown. Pierce Brown, this is safe. Pierce Brown, come on our podcast yeah. and tell us. <laughs> tell us if you're a sociopath, please. Also, we love you. Please. While you're listening. <laughs> um, real quick. Why, why are you listening to us? Because li- you are. <laughs> real quick, let's talk about <laughs> Fitchner. Were you surprised when this was revealed uh, originally? Because talk about scenes that give me goosebumps, even now. Even knowing. I, okay, so I always was like, he's gonna join Darrow eventually. Because he's too much like his son. He's too much like, like... kind of a reject. Yeah, kind of a gold reject. And yeah, he made it. But like, as someone who was rejected for so long, there's two ways I can go. Either you're gonna cling to it ever more because you finally made it. Or you're gonna realize that the system is broken. Yeah. And you're going to, like, you're going to struggle to try to change that. Right. And make it not so horrible. So you always saw him as and a future asset. I did see him as a future asset. I didn't think, oh, this guy's Ares. This guy's for got sure, the whole sure, thing Ares. on lock. And yeah, boy, definitely is he one hell of an Ares. Oh, yeah. And talk about moments I mean, that I'm mad at Darrow, by the way. <laughs> What do you mean? When, it, when Fitchner has to blow his position to save Darrow's oh, stupid life. <laughs> stupid, stupid life. He can hold on to a freaking grenade. Come on, Darrow. I do love that. Oh, man. Oh, man. I love the moment when Darrow jumps into the ship and everyone's like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello. <laughs> that was easy. Thanks for surrendering, I guess. Thanks for uh, dropping in. 
<laughs> Everyone's just sitting there staring at him while he's like catching his breath. They're like, like oh, like bent over panting. They're like, <laughs> take your time. You need a minute. Okay. You want some water? Yeah, we'll be here. <laughs> we'll Pretty wait. much. <laughs> like it's really funny. Oh my gosh. I, I like that six minute scene where he just it's just panting on the pages. Oh my god, it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> Basically um, though. Oh god, yeah, that's a good scene. Fitchner is yeah the coolest. That shook me though. The and reveal that Fitchner was one of the, was Ares, not just one of them. He is Ares. He's the mastermind of the rebellion. He literally Ares. That shook me, and it was amazing. I love his backstory though i know it's beautiful like i love everything like it's such like a, a beauty of it and i love when he's like look like that's what society does like they i couldn't even find someone to be mad at yeah because you know the the, the brown presses the button the the white sends her to death like it's all very efficient i mean it's formulaic like that's it yeah and it takes away responsibility for the atrocities that humanity is committing hello nazi <laughs> Yeah. Nazi metaphor. I mean, yeah, the Nazi metaphor is growing strong, not just to mention that they've had the all before. Yes, <laughs> that doesn't help. Gold eyes, though, not blue yeah. eyes. Yes. Yeah, the Nazis would have burned the gold. <laughs> oh, God. So poorly timed with, like, the the, the Holocaust memori- like, Memorial Day a week ago. Oh, so yes, cool. yes, yes. We, uh, was yesterday the day they liberated Auschwitz? Something like that? Anyway... Don't mind us. It was like last Friday. It was recently. Don't mind. We're, we're hey, you guys, like, go get a drink. We'll be right. Just we'll Wasn't be here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's terrible. But anyway, I yeah, no, you're you're right though. Like the idea that um, like there was no really one person responsible because the society was responsible. So the society became his enemy. Yeah, that's that was his response. He's like, well, I need an enemy. I will take down the society. Like bold move. Bold move. You, you are a outcast to the gold. But dude, it was bold to love the red to begin with. Mm-hmm. It was bold to love the red to begin with, let alone to marry her and then get her surgically modified so that she could bear a child. Like it was all bold. Everything he did was bold. He's a yeah. bold ass man. I mean, like he could have. They could have like had a private estate and chilled right. as like their thing. They didn't have to go and get her carved. They didn't have to, like... Like, I realize, I understand the human instinct and the drive, and it's a beautiful thing. But, like, you, if he was a little smarter and a little less brave, <laughs> like, he, he would probably never become a Ares. happy life. But he was a bold man with little influence. Yeah. And, like, he found a love. And he found it, like, he found it in such a simple way. No. He just met like, her. He just... He just met her in a hospital because he liked to look out on the like the sunset. Northern lights. Northern lights, whatever. <laughs> it's it's very beautiful. Like, though. it's a, it's a yeah, it's a very kind thing. I it's was, what is very heart wrenching about the whole thing though, from a selfish perspective as a reader, like Fitchner is kind of he he does a really good job of playing pathetic and kind of deplorable like. He, in the first book, he's kind of like a lush and he's all, you know, kind of weak and manipulated and like, yeah, he takes some risks, but he just kind of seems like he's got no power. He's just sort of clawing on to survive and then just trying and trying. And yeah. Trying. And then the second book, it's like, oh, you sold out. You're working for the sovereign now. Like 
he just never seems like that solid of a dude, especially because Sever hates him so much, and we trust Sever's perspective, you know? And, or mm-hmm. Sever, I don't know, I don't think Sever really hates him, I think he just acts like he does. But then you, like, you reveal that he's this amazing man who was bold enough to love a red and, like, wanted a family and is now, has now made it his mission to take down the society that elevates him and does so brilliantly and so much so that he is able to get close to the Sovereign. Like, it's, he's so admirable and he's taken from us so quickly after we realize that. Which is the worst part of it. Like, I would have loved to see, like, I love the third book, but I would have, it would, I think it would have been a very different book if, if, um, Fishner had survived, lived to see it. Yes. yes. I mean, we get one scene with him as Ares and it's awesome. He's got his shit together. It's so cool. And you're like, oh my God, you're such a cool dude. <laughs> he's got, yeah, a he's plan. like, all right, we will do this. And he makes all this like, promises to Darrow you. about how he's not going to be alone anymore. And Darrow's so full of hope. Oh, my heart. He's like, we'll communicate with you every day. Like, we'll be there for you, Peter. Yeah, like, you will have a team that you can trust that will, like, lay down their lives to the cause unquestioningly. Huh. Like, and you, you will have the greatest spy network the worlds have ever seen. Like, you are so ready for the third book just to be Darrow taking, like, taking everyone down. I know. You're like, this will be Becoming easy. Becoming the Sovereign. <laughs> yeah, Becoming the Sovereign. Like, it was all laid out, and it sounded like it was going to happen, honestly. Yeah, it was so perfectly, and it was logical. Like, yes, Augustus will will adopt yes. you. Like, okay, yes, known, check. Um, Next step, he'll want to become the sovereign. Yeah. Make that happen. You make yeah, make him sovereign, yes. check. And if you have the support of all of the low colors, basically, right, and the high color cells of the of the sons of Ares, and like all the resources that Fishner can command, then yes, check, good to go, continue. Like he's. It's so possible, so attainable, until there's a triumph. The fucking jackal. The fucking jackal. Fucking Roke. And fucking Roke. I, uh, I mean, Roke was really... He really is still a pawn, though. Like, he, he doesn't... Yeah, he still I mean, doesn't have he agency. Like, he and made like, the choice to betray Darrow, but he was completely, I feel, unnecessary to that whole plot. Yeah, it was just... It was basically insult to injury. Yeah, really. And honestly, like, I don't think it would have happened unless, except that his mom was very influential. What, his involvement? Like. Him being able to flip? I'm betting that his mom was like, um, please don't. Like, please don't kill my son. Yeah, maybe. Like, all right, well, he has to join us then. Maybe. And And he was like, for sure. I think that's when. (laughs) I hear this guy's a red. Because except for his ability to, like, kill it in space. I hear you guys are fighting a red, you know, an inferior race. <laughs> I'm all about that. Um, but he doesn't have a lot of utility except for the fact that he's, like, real good in space. I mean, he, no, he definitely to... has utility as a general. Yes, but, like... As a space commander? Come on. They didn't... If they take down everyone that's in, like, the head of the, like, leading this revolution, you know, that we see it's not how that works, but, like, theoretically, they didn't really need, like, the god of space combat. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, they literally cut off the head of the Rising. Literally. Yeah. They cut off the head of the Rising and the head of the Gold Revolution. Like the yeah, civil, they, like, they... They literally cut off the head exactly. of the Civil War. They cut off the head of the Civil War and the Rising at the same time. Wash your hands, moving along. Like, 
you really i mean you re- you're right you really don't need like a the next great admiral of history but he does in the next book there is an impact to rook's switch like he th- yeah, the fact Rook that he changed size matters good. tremendously i just don't think it i mean i think probably it might have been the sovereign just being <clears throat> careful like covering her bases hedge all her yeah, bets definitely um, um, all right, so we we can't go very long because we are limited by our upload capacity, um, and we used a ton of the bonus upload capacity for our Name of the Wind. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do you want to talk about Nero? But, oh, God. All right, Nero or the Sovereign? I'm more interested in Nero, personally. All right. Um, Real quick. I... <laughs> His backstory was very interesting. Yeah, that was an interesting piece of color. It really made him seem like a, a true monster, honestly. Because if you think of him as being <laughs> like, just an arrogant gold, then like him killing Eo really wasn't a big deal to him. He was just kind of... And he, he barely was even involved. He just happened to be there. And then she sang the song and he's like, all right, well, you guys know what to do. Like, that. that's all... It's yeah, not like he's... forgivable for Darrow, but as a reader, kind of like, eh. <laughs> People have done worse yeah, things like, than kill that little yes. jerk. <laughs> yeah, kill one person who broke the like. To be fair, I mean, no. In fairness to him, that's the law. Yeah, it's his role. He's a he's a governor. Yeah, he's he is a lawkeeper. Like he, his job is to maintain and uphold the law. Right. Exactly. So, so he was really yeah. just doing his job, which again doesn't excuse evil deeds, but makes them sort of more understandable. But then you find out about well, what yeah, he, he didn't go out of he didn't go out of his way to do. It. Right. Exactly. He's not. He wasn't being like, malicious. He wasn't, or cruel. Actively, yeah. He wasn't actively malicious. He was just... So cruel. it makes it hard for Dara to forgive him, but not really hard for the reader. Not that I was ever like, oh, yeah, I really love Nero. Like, he's never... He's never I, I seems never, like, like yeah, a cool Nero guy. But... Yeah, he's greedy. He's power-hungry. Yeah. But it's interesting... Like, Dar- I'm sorry. Go on. Well, I just... I, there's the line where, like, Dara... Um, where he says to Dara, like... Or he says, um, Dara is, like, has shown, capac- has shown the ability to do something that none of you can... He has predicted what I want. Like he, he said I should, like, he, what is it, he... Said he'd make me a king. He, yeah, he, wa- or he wants to make me a king. Um, you know, go now go craft me a crown or something. I don't know, I forget, I forget the exact words, but too. Like, but yeah, it was like, all right, Darrow said I want to be king. And he's right. I do want to be king. This is what I want. <laughs> go make it happen. Chop, chop. Yeah, go, go, go. But it's him. interesting, because that's how we see him as an, as an external. But then... Internally, he really sees himself as like the hope of humanity, and he honestly he makes kind of a convincing argument about how humanity was just sheer chaos and destructive force before the golds conquered Earth. Like, destroyed the mm-hmm. environment. You know, we're constantly at war. There was all these different factions with nuclear capacity, and he was like, they needed a strong hand, and gold was that hand. And to be fair, like, I kind of get where he's coming from. Obviously, the cost to the humanity of humanity is way too high uh, for, you know, what, what they did was at far too high a cost. But I see where he's coming from of being like, yeah, they need a strong shepherd and gold is that. And now gold is weakening. So I need to be that for gold as well as every other color. Like, he really sees himself mm-hmm. as a savior. He sees himself as a necessity. And I think that's really interesting because you don't often get that that look into the mind of a tyrant. Because you just see the power hunger. And 
cruelty and willingness to do whatever it takes to gain more power. You never see the why. Right, exactly. And I think the, you know, that's kind of the, he's the antipathy of like that. He's the other end of gold, right? His daughter is what gold can be. She's noble. She's caring. She shows capacity to love and she knows like, she and she even, I think she says it when they're in the mine. Like she's like she's not like I'm not blind. I know what gold is. I know what we've done to people. I know what we do to the reds. Right. Like she's totally aware of it and she knows it's horrible and she'd like to make a change. And you know, she yeah, she, she's like the basically the best gold right. you meet. And you see her father, who is kind of the opposite of that. He's the embodiment of everything that makes gold wrong. That's true. But in, in one way, sickly knowable. Yeah, in, in his own twisted like, logic. And, like, I get it. Like, we live in a world today where people are just battling each other and people are... There's technology to be too deadly. Right. Compared to our moral fiber. <laughs> yes. I oh God, what did we read a book about it or something? But it was about how, like, technology's outstripped our own moral capacity. I think that was... Um... I, the singularity trap, wasn't it? That might be our sing- the singularity trap. Where it was like, but we have. I think we've talked about this before. Yes, no, it's definitely come up. The idea that humanity has grown efficient at killing way quicker than it's grown. <laughs> A better just, judgment. yeah, like truly just. We're still selfish and tribalist, and. Yeah, we still have that, like, lizard brain mentality. That knee-jerk reaction, like, racism still exists. One, like, once we get that out of here, I'm thinking we'll be, like, that'll be a good uh, litmus test for our improvement as a society. But it's not the only problem. Like you, It's not the only problem. I'm saying, like, it's a good litmus test. Sure. Like, because what makes racism a thing is, like, what makes humanity a thing? Quick to judgment. Like, thinking, creating preconceptions and not being willing to compromise on them or even adjust them completely just because that's your belief and you think you're right. right. And what, you know, damn to everyone else, whatever else says. Right. No, exactly. And that's exactly what Darrow's sort of internal response is to Nero. He's like, what gives you the right to make these choices? We never chose to be slaves. Like, and obviously we don't have to be slaves because I'm standing here in front of you. I have the capacity to be as great as any gold and I'm just one of my race. Like you don't know what this limitation is. You have no right to make this choice. Like, I might be in the top half percent of my race's evolution, but, like, there's still millions and billions of reds. Yeah, many reds, you know, might choose to be miners, but they don't get to choose at all, and that's the problem. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's that, Nero. Yeah. Do you have anything okay. to say about the Sovereign real quick? Um, I loved... I, I'm a big fan of the, um, the Oracle scene. Yes, it's a very good scene. It's a very good scene. When they're talking about truth. I love... Yeah, when they're talking about the idea of truth. And obviously, Octavia was basically lying through her teeth in that moment. Like, hmm. But I do like the idea of that their small group being totally honest. Yes. And like, and there is a line, a quote from Asia in that scene where she says, Lies are rust on iron, a blemish on power. <laughs> and so Octavia's whole idea is true power doesn't need to lie. Yeah. Like, um... Um, what was her name? Says it a lot. Uh, From what? One second. Victra. Uh, yeah. 
Victor says it a lot. Like, who could buy my like my loyalty? Who could buy my like? Why God, would I, I need to lie? I am so wealthy. <laughs> Short story. I God, love Victor. Moving on. Well, Victor's my. I think Victor might be my favorite character in the whole series. Like, she's just the best. I, she's, she's so great. great. But back to the sovereign and their philosophy. And, like, she doesn't have a bad part. But yeah, so like that sovereign's whole philosophy is that those their small group doesn't lie and. You know, that she passes off as something noble and something to be striven towards. And, like, yes, we are good, we are moral, we are just. I think it's mostly that she thinks that she doesn't even have to. Right. Like, she doesn't... She's like, uh, lying is for people that are not as good as me. <laughs> yeah, she would never debase herself with dishonesty because she has nothing to be ashamed of or sorry for. In her yeah, mind. She, because as she sees it, she is the law. Like, nothing else can stand against her. And there's a lot her. of talk about that, about how the Sovereign sees herself and how she thinks she has unassailable power. And she kind, kind of does a little bit. I mean, she does. Like, that society has let themselves... Because for a long time, they were ruled by... They were, like, there was an... I think there was an election or something before among the gold or among the peerless or among the senate. I'm not really sure. Um, but then she got out of control of it and it became a lifetime post. And... Um, who was it that talked about how it was never meant to be like, like you were never meant to be a lifetime ruler like that. The position of sovereign is not a lifetime position. I think uh, you're talking about. I don't think that's in this book. It must be in the sequel. Of course, was in this book. Like you were never meant to be a king, basically. Like you can or and then there's also the talk about how you can rule the gold. But like once you tell them you're ruling (laughs) them, that's over. Then yeah. That that's the good one. I, I do like that. Too. that. Yeah, that pretty much sums them up. All right, should we sum ourselves up then? Uh, we should. Let's see if we can do it quickly. Because we're bad at that. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to follow us on Facebook, that's facebook.com/sci-fi-sidebar, where we post updates, especially if we're going to have an episode late or whatever. Um, yeah, it's a useful place for information. Yep. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at um, sci-fi-side. Wait. Signifying nothing network at, at signifying at nothing network at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah, nailed it. it. Signifying nothing network at gmail.com. Uh, nailed it in one first try. <laughs> and you can go ahead and email us there um, if you have any suggestions for topics, because honestly, it's getting a little harder to pick episode topics. We're going to get there, but it's a little harder every time. Speaking of episode topics, our next episode, which will be coming out on February 11th, I believe, will be on Michael Crichton's timeline. Yes, it's an awesome book that we've been... T- it's been basically on our list of books to do since we started this podcast. Yes, and all the more relevant so. since we now have commercial quantum computing, and quantum computing plays a role in it. So it's our tribute. Yeah. <laughs> our homage to the it's quantum to commercial quantum industry, I guess. <laughs> That's what they wanted. They've been asking us for this. We're sponsored by quantum computing. <laughs> so we finally decided to debase ourselves this way. Just play along. Really any quantum computing. <laughs> anyway. No more so, jokes, um, Peter. Yeah. Sorry. So that'll be coming out uh, in February. And what else, Peach? Um, that's it. Is that it? I mean, yeah, yeah we it. have our we have uh, Audible, our Audible affiliate code that you can use if you want to have two free audiobooks instead of the usual one. Uh, or if you have a podcast um, and are looking for a podcast host, we also have a PodTrack affiliate code. Both of them are listed in our description. Pi- we Wait, have a podcast affiliate code. What did I say? Code. Oh, we used pod to use PodTrack. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> anyway, and then actually, so if you look at the bottom of the description of our episode, you will see the code there. Um, it's We don't ask you to, like, change your podcast or whatever, but if you have a podcast and you're looking at using a paid service now, uh, they have unlimited storage. 
they're pretty great. Their uh, upload capacity is sizable. We just happen to go wrong. <laughs> it's good for um, a normal a limited, podcast a limited, that's like, got it figured out and doesn't just go for way longer than it's supposed to. It is unlimited total upload per month. However, each episode is 64 megabyte max, yeah, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't matter. You can look up their website, though. But if you're thinking about switching or thinking about going from a free service to a paid service or even just you have a lot, spend a lot of money on your service or whatever, um, you can get a discounted um, uh, first couple months there. I think it's first four months, like 40% off. And it's like five bucks a month after that. So it's real cheap and you can help us out and help us kind of pay our dues if you uh, hop on board. Anyway, so that's in the bottom of our description. Uh, easier way even than that to help us out is if you want to leave us a review on iTunes and a rating and share us with your friends. That's pretty much the only way we grow. So please uh, please keep at it. Yep. And if you want to find the link for our Audible affiliate code, um, you can go to the website pinecast.com. For, or, I'm sorry. It's sci-fi-sidebar.pinecast.com. <laughs> So if you go to that website, you go to the bottom of the page, you can see that, like, affiliate link, sponsor link, and you can go ahead and click there and um, move right along. Yep. Let's wrap up. This has been yes. Sci-Fi Sidebar from the Signifying Nothing Network. A tale told by Thanks, idiots. Thanks, guys. So bye. Bye, guys. Three, two, one.